Gray already uh, said this, but it is also a day to celebrate because we're saying welcome and welcome back to our Davidson College students. Welcome, welcome back. I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm an alum of that fine institution, and so I can officially give you a welcome, for, especially from the math department, from which I hold a degree. Welcome. Uh, we pray for you, whether you've been with us for, this is your fourth year, this is your, you know, you've been in Davidson for three days at this point. We pray for you that you will, your faith will start or strengthen during your time in college. We have seen that happen for so many people, and we pray that for you too, that your faith will start or strengthen during your time at Davidson. And as Grace said, we would love you plugging into this church or some church to be an important part of that, whether you settle here, whether you find a better church, whatever one it is. One day, Gray will just say that, whenever you find a better church. I'm fatalistic enough. But whether it's that, you, that here or another church, well, a better church, we hope you find it, you get deeply plugged in, and your faith starts or strengthens during your time at Davidson. You picked a fun time to come. Frankly, all of you picked a fun time to come because, as I said, we're in the midst of a season of celebration in our church family, and there's room for all of you to join in. Because last Sunday, we celebrated 10 years as a church. We celebrated how God's been changing our lives during those 10 years. We're celebrating that at the end of this year, we'll become our own uh, local church. We're taking a step of maturity to become our own local church in our denomination. We're going to be called Story Hill Church. So right now you see some Lake Forest Davidson, some Story Hill Church. Uh, they're both right, and you're smart people. You can figure it out. We're also celebrating that we're in the midst of our Established in Love campaign. We are securing commitments so that we can start building a church building on South Main Street in Davidson. And so we want everybody, individuals, families, everybody to find a way to be meaningfully involved in that campaign. So if you have not already done so, I would encourage you on your way out the door to pick up an Established in Love booklet. They're just right on the table as you walk out. If you're online, you can go to storyhill.org. Storyhill.org will eventually be our church website, but right now it's a landing page for Established in Love, and it has the whole booklet there and all that kind of good stuff. Today, actually, we have an event on the land at 1230. If you've got nothing to do today at 1230, we'll be on the land on South Main Street uh, as a chance to learn more about the building, ask questions about the campaign, have a nice lunch. We'll be there on the land. If you did not RSVP, you can still come. Please just stand at the back of the food line for obvious reasons. 12.30 today. If you cannot do that, we will do exactly the same thing, but on Facebook Live next week at 4 p.m. Next Sunday at 4 p.m., we will do the exact same thing on Facebook Live. A chance to learn more about the building, more about the campaign, to ask questions that you might have. If you can't be there today, standing at the back of the food line, you can join us next Sunday on 4 p.m. Facebook Live. I would encourage you to come to one or one of those two events. Make it a priority to be at one of those two events so that you can learn just a little bit more than what we'll share on Sunday mornings. So at this point, what I'm asking you is to spend time either with the booklet or if you're online at the, with the website, spend time with God, come to the events, talk to people you trust, begin to ask what it will look like for you to take a new step of faith, a new step of generosity to make an impact for generations to come. Because the goals of the Established in Love campaign are two. The first goal is that the congregation will grow spiritually. 
you and I, that you and I will take new steps, new steps of faith, step out in generosity, let Jesus the Christ repurpose some of what we think are our skills and our resources for His kingdom. And if we do that, I think we will hit our second goal of the campaign, which is to raise $4.8 million that can allow us to start building this building. That's a big second goal. But if, I think, if the first goal goes well, I think the second goal will go well too. In the very back of the booklet, we, we put the commitment card. And, and so there's also one online uh, on storyhill.org, a digital commitment card. We're asking everybody to make a three-year commitment, three-year commitment over and above your regular giving to the church. Your regular giving to the church is what powers the week-in and week-out ministry and mission of the church. This is a one-time ask for the, the one-time deal of building a church building. So a three-year commitment over and above your regular giving to the church, and we're asking everyone to turn in their commitment in person or virtually by September 19th. Do you remember that date? By September 19th, on or before September 19th. So at this point, what I'm asking you to do is start thinking, start praying about what it will mean for you or your family to be meaningfully involved in established in love. Over these first 10 years, we've seen all kinds of amazing God stories, but what if the first 10 years are only the beginning? We have to continue to remind ourselves throughout the established and loved journey, a church building is not the Holy Grail. A church building is an opportunity to do long-term, vibrant ministry in this community. And some people will like and not like different things about it, the building. But it will be an opportunity to open our doors to our neighbors seven days a week, whether those be down-the-street neighbors or vulnerable neighbors, such as housing those who are homeless through the Room in the Inn program. Ultimately, a building is our prayer that God will take these first 10 years, the God stories we've heard these first 10 years, yours and mine and Madeline's and hundreds of others, will take those stories and build on them and replicate them and multiply them for generations to come. If, for instance, you are three days into being at Davidson because you're a first-year student at the college, I would still encourage you to pick one of these things up because on the commitment card, you'll notice in addition to financial commitments, there are also time commitments, ways to get more plugged into the life of the church. So really, I really mean it. We're glad you're here. So glad, in fact, we want all of you to be meaningfully involved. So do look at this, even if all the money stuff makes you a little scared. Do look at this. Think about how you can be and how you can take a new step of faith through established in love. Today, we continue our series of sermons, a year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. For all of 2021, we're looking at the big picture of the Bible, that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world, and He invites us to find our place in it. We're trying to make the Bible a little less big, a little less intimidating. We have resources like reading plans, like videos that can help with that. Through the first half of the Bible, the first seven months of the year for us, we've been hearing about this coming hero, a wounded champion, the Messiah, the Christ, 
who will come and lead an eternal kingdom. And now we're in the second half of the Bible, and we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that this man Jesus is the Christ. This man Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, he's not just a man. He is fully God and fully human. The God of all creation wrapped himself in human flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And he came here on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us to God, to establish God's kingdom, and to do so in love. And Jesus, we're at the part of the, of the Bible where Jesus has started to invite people into God's kingdom with these words. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. I will repurpose your life to be more about God's kingdom. So today, we want to look at one of the more famous teachings of Jesus, one of his more famous parables. A parable means it's a story designed to make a point and make it so that you don't forget it. And this particular parable gives us a very clear insight into the nature of the God-human relationship. It's from Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Georgia read part of this for us earlier. Before I begin, I just want to ask you a very simple question. What do you want first, the good news or the bad news? What do you, okay, there's been one vote for good news, one vote for bad news. What do you want first, good news or the bad news? How do you answer that question when it normally gets asked to you? It's kind of a no-win proposition, isn't it? I'll just give it to you in the order Jesus gives it to you. How about that? Let's do that. The parable begins this way, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So we have a father, we have two sons. These represent God and two ways that people relate to God. And one of the kids, the younger kid, comes to his dad and says, give me my part of the estate. Now, this is a very strange request. Typically, you wait until your father has died to ask him to give you your share of the estate. What the younger son is doing is acting like his father is dead. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So Jesus says that the younger kid takes all he has, goes off to a faraway land, wastes his wealth in wild living, in loose living, in aimless living, in self-centered living. Yeah, he's probably doing some things that would make you blush, but largely he's just living a directionless, aimless life. He's doing his own thing. No purpose, no direction, just making himself happy. And then he runs out of money. And then there's a famine in the land. And he finds himself in a really bad spot. And his greatest problem is simple. At least it's simple to state. His greatest problem is that his life is based on a lie. He's living like his dad is dead, but his dad's not dead. And Jesus is saying something very clear here, that humanity suffers, that you and I suffer from one major problem. Our greatest problem is that God is not dead. And yet we often live our lives as if God is dead. 
Because the truth is, if God is dead, you are in complete control of your life. You can do whatever you want. You can live an aimless life. You can live an achieving life. You don't have to answer to anybody. If God is dead, you can treat me however you want, and I can treat you however I want. We don't have to answer to anybody. The truth is, we often live as if God is dead. As we use our words to tear one another down, as we go after to get whatever we want, no matter what it costs other people, if God says live this way and we say we'll live any way but that way, we often live as if God is dead. And our major problem, the bad news, is that God is not dead. That you and I will have to answer to someone. We will have to account for our lives, the lives that God has given us. And some of our harder, more reflective moments, we realize that may not be an easy thing. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out. This is the younger son. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so the kid finds himself in a harder, a more reflective moment. He's taking care of pigs. He's so hungry, he wants to eat what's in the pig trough. And you kind of feel the weight of his mistakes and the life that he's lived starting to crash down on him. And then Jesus makes the turn and says this, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. Jesus says he came to his senses. I wonder how that happened. I imagine it went a little something like this. He's sitting there with the pigs, looking at the food in the pig trough, actually wishing he was eating it like the pigs were eating it, and he starts to think to himself, I am so dumb. Look at this. My inheritance is gone. My options are gone. All because I wanted to live like my dad is dead. My dad's not dead. My dad's not dead. Those words ring haunting in his head. My dad's not dead. My dad's not dead. Relate this to us. God is not dead dead. You fool. God is not dead. God is not dead. Wait a minute. God is not dead. And in this moment, the kid realizes that his greatest problem is actually his only hope. His dad's not dead. Your greatest problem and my greatest problem, we actually realize, is our greatest hope. God is not dead. Which do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Jesus says it doesn't matter. It's the same news. If our lives have any chance, we need the power of the living God. We need the living God in us changing us. If we're going to make a difference in this world, we need Jesus inside of us, allowing His love to replace our hatred, His peace to replace our anxiety, His joy to replace our sadness, His purpose to replace our aimlessness. We need a different kind of love, a different kind of patience deep within us. I'm reminded of this. I had meant to say something earlier on. The, the, the uh, county is this week going to come out with a new 
uh, or start enforcing a new mask ordinance. In a lot of ways, it's just catching up with what we've already been asking folks to do, but we're double-checking that, and we're double-checking with the why, because we want to honor the why as our host. But what I really want to say to all of us is, we've been doing this for 18 months now, and some of us are weary, and some of us are worried. And what we need to do most deeply is to ask God to empower us with a deeper kind of love and a deeper kind of patience for ourselves and for others. We can spend all our time justifying how right I am, or we can ask God, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of all this? How are you asking me to grow in the midst of all this? In those harder and more reflective moments, sometimes we ask different questions if we'll let ourselves go there. And in this kid's harder and more reflective moment, he asked the questions that got him to the point of realizing his biggest problem was actually his only hope. His dad was not dead. And so verse 18, the son said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so the son sets back off for home. He's rehearsing his little speech. Dad, I missed the mark. The way I've been living is off target. I don't, you don't owe me anything, but I'm pleading you'll give me something. This is his only chance. So he got up, Luke 15, 20. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, uh-oh, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. If you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, I hope, I invite you to soak in this verse until it transforms you. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The kid is walking home, rehearsing his speech. He's interrupted by his dad, who runs out and embraces him. And it's the father's reaction, not the kid's return, that is the major point of the parable. It is great the kid decided to come home. It's far greater his father was looking for him and celebrated his return. Because returning home was the younger son's only choice. His father had choices, and this is what he chose to do. He chose to embrace and celebrate his bedraggled and wayward child. And he did it because his heart was full of mercy, full of compassion, full of generosity. Relate that to us. God loves to embrace and celebrate people who humbly come to him. God loves to celebrate and embrace people who humbly come to Him. And this is no small celebration. The dad is thrilled. There will never be an occasion more special than this. So the cow we've been saving for just the right occasion, kill it. In our world, the equivalent would be that really expensive bottle of wine we've been saving for just the right occasion, open it. If you're a little less cultured, you'd say, go out in the shed, get the $50 box of fireworks we've been saving for just the right occasion. I got a Davidson degree, a Davidson address, but I ain't from around here. 
And so the great party begins. There's a lot of celebration. There's a lot of happiness. It's everything the son was looking for in the faraway country, but he found it at the party his dad threw. Just like how some of us are looking to find away from God, what we will ultimately only find with God. Everybody is so happy. The dead son is alive. The lost son is found. Everybody is celebrating. Except one person. The parable continues. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the older son refuses to go into the party. His brother's return is nothing to celebrate. We see in this kid a heart that's very different than the humble heart of his returning brother. He complains his father has never celebrated him, not even with a $10 box of fireworks. He accuses his brother of hiring prostitutes, although he can't actually know if that happened. He is clearly implying, look, Dad, I deserve your love. That kid doesn't. Rembrandt has a very famous painting of this parable. The painting is called The Prodigal Son, and it shows the father, sort of on the left, embracing his bedraggled, spiritually aimless son, whereas over off to the right stands his spiritually prideful son, standing very coldly and at a distance. And the painting, much like the parable, forces us to reflect on who we are and who we are called to be. Are you, am I, are you the bedraggled, spiritually aimless child who is dependent on God's mercy, dependent on God's embrace? And His mercy and His compassion and His generosity is actually all that stands between you and ruin. Are you and I growing? Growing as we kneel in tattered clothes held tight in the embrace of our Creator? Or over time, have we started to become more cold towards God's compassion? More, more distant about our need for His embrace. Sure, when we first became Christians, we were pretty rough, but now God's pretty lucky to have me. Certainly a lot better than some of these other jokers I see around here. So what I'd ask you to do today to kind of pick up where I'm leaving off in the sermon, I would invite you today to take time to read Luke 15 reflecting on who God is calling you and our church family to be. Take time to reflect on Luke 15, reflecting on who God is calling you and our church family to be. And now look, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the way out on the table, or there's apps you can download for your phone. Luke 15, take as long as you need to find it, is a chapter of the Bible. That means it's one page long. So if you would take time today, set aside 10 or 15 minutes 
to read that page of the Bible, reflect on it, go look at Rembrandt's painting. You can Google it or you can fly to Europe. Ask God which one you are. Who is he calling you to be? Who is he calling our church family to be? Are you more prone to spiritual aimlessness or spiritual pride? Here's the good news. Jesus says both kids got invited to the party. Jesus invites all people to come to him. Jesus invites all people to be restored to God through him, to find abundant and everlasting in, a life in him so that God's truth can guide the aimless, so that God's grace can humble the proud. Jesus is teaching all of us to not resent the generosity of God, but to instead be changed by the generosity of God, to become an ambassador for the generosity of God. So somewhere in your day today, take those 10 to 15 minutes. If this is your first time to ever read the Bible, again, you don't have to be an expert. You're the only one there. Take as long as you need to find the passage. Read it. Reflect on it. See where you see yourself, who God is asking you to be. And maybe you'll look again at the little pictures in the Established in Love booklet. And you'll realize the church we're trying to design, the building we're trying to design, we're trying to make it look a little more like a house than like an institution. Like a big old house up on a hill. Think about that in light of Jesus' parable. Whereby God's grace, it could be a place that for generations is filled with celebration. Filled with celebrating the goodness of Jesus and all He's done for us. Where the wayward and the bedraggled can come home. Where spiritual pride, yours or mine, will be continually chipped away at by God's generosity. It's one of Jesus' more famous parables. And it says some very radical things about the nature of the divine human relationship. So I think it deserves our best reflection, our open hands, our open hearts. Who is God calling you to be? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us to guess what you're really like. 
but that in the most surprising turn of human history, you entered it. You walked among us. And then by your grace, you left us this record of what you said and what you did so that we might come to know you and might come to see ourselves more clearly in light of you. Lord, I pray that each of us individually, we will not become people who resent your generosity, but that we will become people who are changed by your generosity, who become ambassadors for your grace. Lord, I pray we will make room in our lives and room in our church family for those who truly need to find hope. That we will not see those sort of folks as, as an imposition or an inconvenience, but as part of our purpose. Frankly, as who we are ourselves. And Lord, I pray for those of us who may feel condemned by the decisions we've made or the ways we've lived our lives. But Lord, in the bad news, may we also hear the good news that you are still there, still working, still active, still eager to embrace us in our little tattered clothes self. That we might grow and change and be transformed, not in our strength, but in our weakness. That we might follow the good example we've seen set for us today of someone opening their life to you. Not having all the answers, but being just sure enough of this step that I'm going to take it. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.